This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today my guest is Dr. Jeffrey Fowler. Jeff is an expert in gynecologic cancer, and he is the medical director of the James Robotic Surgery Program. And that's our topic today, robotic surgery and cancer. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, thank you very much for having me join you. I'm looking forward to give you whatever information I can regarding this uh, exciting area in surgery. So I want to start off with a little bit of a, a misconception about the whole concept, the term of robotic surgery, that I, I think some people, I'm sure you get this question or people ask you about this, that robots, actual robots are performing the surgery. So that's not really the case at all, is it? Uh, correct. That's not the case, but it's a f- frequent question I'll get when uh, offering that surgical approach to a patient. In fact, I clarify it for the patients, even if they don't ask, because most patients will wonder. So while there's a lot of automated tasks that are performed by robots in industry, building cars, etc., this is using robotic technology, but the surgeon's doing the surgery. Yeah, I think they probably could have come up with a better name for it, like technology-assisted surgery or something like that. Yeah, we'll call it uh, computer-assisted laparoscopic surgery. So, uh, but... Yeah, that, that's, that, that term, laparoscopic surgery, that's going to be a key here. I don't even want to specifically start with that, but just give us a little background, a little history on this whole concept of robotic surgery and the role that laparoscopic surgery sort of plays in that history. Yeah, both are important in the history of minimally invasive surgery. So the concept of minimally invasive surgery did start with laparoscopic surgery. In other words, performing surgery, usually in the abdomen, through small holes, through tubes that are inserted into the abdomen, and cameras and instruments inserted through those tubes, and then performing surgical procedures through that uh, type of access, surgical access. And the, and the goal of that approach is to convert a surgery that was previously performed through a large incision to one performed through those small incisions with the goal of uh, decreasing side effects of surgery, um, blood loss, infection, time of recovery, time to get back to work, quality of life. So that started with laparoscopic surgery back in the early 1990s. And a number of surgical disciplines adopted laparoscopic surgery, including um, thoracic surgery, so that'd be thoroscopic, but uh, still the same concept, minimally invasive surgery, to replace some procedures um, with higher morbidity or side effects to be able to reduce those side effects by performing those surgeries through small incisions. So, So certain types of procedures, the laparoscopic approach was widely adopted, for instance, gallbladder surgery, cholecystectomy. Virtually all cholecystectomies and appendectomies are performed laparoscopically. But uh, many other procedures, that adoption rate was more moderate or even low, like hysterectomies, 
thoracoscopic surgery, prostatectomies. And that was because um, whether it was patient issues or surgeon experience or the technology just wasn't quite good enough to be able to do it minimally invasive as opposed through an open big incision, laparoscopy just wasn't quite good enough uh, uh, technology um, to do those surgeries safely. What was the part was missing? Is it, was it the, the vision inside the patient? Yeah, thank you. So, it, so laparoscopic surgery, the surgeon's um, standing next to the patient, looking at a TV screen, holding the instruments that are going through those tubes and watching what they're doing on a TV screen. So often there would be counterintuitive movements. It'd be like watching yourself in a mirror and trying to pluck a hair or whatever, and you move one way and really you're supposed to go the other way. Um, Two-dimensional field of vision as opposed to 3D. If you're doing a surgery through an open incision, it's three-dimensional. Um, the the um, resolution of what you see um, can be compromised. And the movements aren't quite as precise. So when you're um, operating with an instrument through a laparoscopic port, it's in four dimensions as opposed to six or seven dimensions if you're using your hands and wrists as well. So the transformation into robotic surgery, the robotic uh, technology provides 3D vision. We're sitting down at a console next to the patient and looking into a, a viewfinder that's like a periscope. The camera, the robotic camera has actually two camera heads within it and or two cameras within the head and, and uh, translates those images into a high resolution 3D view. So the, the, ca- the two cameras on the head of this cable or whatever it is, how small is that that's inserted inside the patient? It's about uh, 10 mil- eight millimeters in diameter. So is that like a pencil? It's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit uh, more in diameter than a pencil. Uh, just a little more, eight millimeters. So, so an inch. Yeah, an inch is you know, two and a half centimeters. So you know, it's about a quarter of an inch or so. And that's what you see through. Yeah. So the camera would go through a port of that diameter. And then we would have three additional ports to put surgical instruments in to do the surgery. So that approach is the same, whether it's laparoscopic or robotic. Uh, Again, a camera port to view the surgical field. And then any number of additional access ports to place surgical instruments, suction, uh, bags to remove specimens, uh, whatever we need to do to accomplish the surgery. So conceptually, um, that approach is the same, laparoscopic versus robotic. The difference between the two types of surgeries is that the robotic technology uh, adds, a, adds more precision um, to the procedure, allows a surgeon to have more control over the operative field where the tips of the instruments work like your hands they're wristed so they remove they move in 
six dimensions. Um, magnification is superior. Um, we can drive the camera down into the surgical field and have a 10 times magnified opter, operative field. So we're much closer. We can see small blood vessels and nerves that we never saw before. Wow. And I've heard you mentioned it and I've, I've, I was looking up this up at this robotic wrist that you mentioned. That seems to be the breakthrough that took it from laparoscopic to robotic. What I think, or you, you'll tell us, but what is that robotic wrist, wrist and what was the advantages that that brought? Yeah. So that is what, that is definitely one of the major advantages. And so to back up from there, when we're performing robotic surgery, we're in the room with the patient. Um, we place the ports that I mentioned, the access ports into the abdomen and uh, make sure they're placed safely. Of course, we put the camera in to make uh, sure that the, um, we're properly accessed in the surgical field. And then we hook the robot to the camera and place the instruments that we're planning on use, using for the procedure. And those are attached to the arms of the robot as well. So the robot is on a pedestal and has four arms, one of them for the camera and three for instruments. And, and so they're all attached to the instruments and camera that we placed into the abdomen of the patient. And then there's a computer console that is also connected to the, um, you know, the robot on the pedestal, which goes to the instruments. And then I go sit down at a console, which is hooked to the robot. And as I'm looking through this uh, viewfinder, my hands are, in finger cuts for each hand, and that moves the instruments in real time. So as I move my hand in a wristed fashion, the tips of the instrument with the, that are with inside the patient move in the exact same wristed fashion, direction, speed, as I intended uh, sitting at the console, and it's all in real time. There's no perception of delay. So, and also as I move my hands, that moves the placement of the instrument. Now I'm not only using my hands, I'm using both feet. Uh, so the feet, to, um, some instruments have uh, electric cutting energy sources. And so I'll activate those by using my feet. I can move from one instrument to the other because there's four instruments in, but I only have two hands. So there's a clutching mechanism. And with one foot, I can change just like that from one instrument to the other. So you really have more control over the surgical field as compared to laparoscopy as well. Um, let me stop there and see if you have any other questions. Well, the question that comes to mind, you already sort of brought this up about looking in the mirror and trying to pluck a hair. The learning curve on this to coordinate two hands, two feet, three instruments in the camera. You're now an expert. You've done this hundreds of times. But what is the learning curve, the training to be able to do this without thinking about what you're doing and just regular, you know, just to do surgery as you, you know, first started doing? Well, there's definitely a learning curve, uh, and it depends on the level of experience of the 
trainee or the new adapter to the robot. So, you know, I learned robotic surgery in my late 40s. And so I already had a lot of experience performing open surgery through laparotomy and laparoscopic surgery. I definitely had to understand the clutching mechanisms and the various foot pedals, but uh, it was fairly uh, easy to adapt to. I could visualize how I wanted to complete that surgery. Uh, So from a proficiency standpoint, it did not take that long to adapt to the robotic platform. In other words, to feel that I'm doing these surgeries safely. And then efficiency, in other words, being a little more coordinated with use of the instruments, decreasing speed, uh, increasing speed of switching to one or the other without even thinking about it all. Over time, uh, that just keeps improving. So um, I think uh, if the surgeon is able to visualize the surgical procedure that needs to happen and where to dissect, and accomplish each step, it makes adopting to the robotic platform easier. The wristed instruments are one of the key advantages to the robotic platform. It just allows for more precision, ability to get in there and meticulously or delicately dissect areas around vessels and nerves, pick them up in a precise manner, dissect those surgical planes precisely, but uh, the other advantage is, is the enhanced vision, magnification, and the resolution in the 3D vision, and then the overall control that the surgeon has of the surgical field by being able to go back and forth with these different arms um, without waiting for someone else to help do that. Okay, great. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Jeff's going to fill us in on the specifics of how this is applied to cancer surgery, what types of cancer it works best on, and and a quick overview on the James Robotic Surgery Program, which is one of the largest anywhere. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Jeff Fowler, the medical director of the James Robotic Surgery Program. And Jeff, let's give me a little history on the application of robotic surgery here at the James and also at at just the Ohio State Medical Center in general. When did it sort of start? Well, the the second robotic system ever made by Intuitive Surgery, the uh, company that makes Da Vinci robots that we use, uh, was bought by Ohio State for cardiac surgery, and that was the original intention of this of the Da Vinci robotic platform was for cardiac surgery. It, especially in the 1990s, it didn't find a wide application or a very high volume of surgeries at Ohio State or nationwide, and it just kind of sat there. But uh, urologists picked up on the robotic platform for robotic prostatectomies, because as I mentioned, for certain applications of minimally invasive surgery for laparoscopy, 
some types of procedures are just too difficult to perform via laparoscopy and prostatectomy would be one of them. Almost all prostatectomies were performed through a big incision. What is a prostatectomy? Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, prostate is a gland uh, for males and uh, in the male reproductive system and uh, it's the most common organ that can become cancerous in males. And okay, for prostate surgery for cancer. Okay. Right, and it's deep in the pelvis. And uh, one of the major treatment options for prostate cancer is prostatectomy. I've just never heard that term before, so now I know that. Okay. Right. And so um, in the early 2000s, urologists, some urologists uh, started using the robotic platform performing prostatectomies, and uh, that was transformative. It, it uh, now almost all prostatectomies um, via the abdominal approach are performed via robotics. Uh, at the same time, we had a very high volume urologic surgeon here at OSU who started in 2004, 2005, um, he encouraged me to adopt robotics for our gynecologic oncology surgeries. At that time, maybe 20% of gynecologic oncology hysterectomies were performed laparoscopically and the others via big incision because of patient factors, just difficulty performing that surgery laparoscopically. Now, probably 80% of those procedures are performed minimally invasive because of the introduction of the robotic surgery platform. So at Ohio State, starting in 2005 or 2006, urologic cancer surgeries, the prostate and kidney cancer surgery and gynecologic oncology surgery for cancer of the uterus, cancer of the cervix, ovarian tumors, that was the major use of the robot at the James in the late 2000s and even the early 2010s. The robotic platform has undergone four generations of changes and with improvement in the technology of the robotic platform, that's allowed other surgical specialties to consider to adopt robotics instead of performing surgeries through a large incision in the abdomen or the chest. So probably uh, four or five years ago, 75% of all robotic surgeries performed at Ohio State were urologic and gynecologic oncology cancer surgeries. Now about 50% of uh, surgeries at Ohio State are performed by those two services, urology and gynoc. And, there's been a much, there's been a large multidisciplinary expansion in the cancer, uh, in the treatments of cancers by other surgical specialties because advances in the technology of the robotic platform. So that includes thoracic surgery for lung tumors, uh, head and neck surgery for tumors uh, in the throat. Uh, it includes upper abdominal cancers like pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, uh, problems with the spleen, stomach cancer. So there's been a, a, a large expansion to, into other types of cancers in the abdomen, in addition to the pelvis, 
in the upper abdomen and even the chest. Altogether, we have one of the largest multidisciplinary cancer programs performing robotic surgery in the country. Are there any types of cancer that it, I don't, I don't know if cancer right word or hasn't been used yet. And I'm thinking cancers where large masses or even bones have to be removed is probably where you can't use it, right? Correct. Uh, we still perform, uh, you know, a number of open surgeries through laparotomies for large tumors or for certain types of spread of tumors. We have a very large, uh, orthopedic oncology program, and uh, there wouldn't be applications right now of robotic surgery uh, for those tumors as far as I know. And of course, uh, um, neurologic surgery for brain tumors and whatnot, they, they have other advanced technologies they use, however, but as far as the platform we use for robotic surgery, uh, not, app not applications there. Now, you mentioned that you're on the fourth generation of robotic surgery, and I'm assuming there's going to be future generations. So as you look ahead down the road, what are some of the improvements you can see coming to make it ev even better and apply to perhaps more cancer operations or just general, any kind of operation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's hard to predict exactly the next versions of robotic platforms that are going to come out. There's no question there will be more highly evolved robotic surgery platforms. Uh, Intuitive Surgery, the company that makes robotic platforms, they've come out with a single port robotic surgery platform. So I mentioned earlier that uh, we'll place four access ports into the abdomen and each one of those ports, a robotic arm is hooked to them. The single port system has one incision and then a larger port goes through, but then four, three instruments and one camera go through that and you're operating through one port. And uh, so that allows for less incisions, less trauma to the abdomen. So that's an example of newer technology that's out there. And uh, I think uh, it's also um, expanded into non-cancer areas. So uh, there's been a lot of interest and use at Ohio State for repairing complicated hernias, abdominal wall hernias other types of gastrointestinal problems. So the largest area of growth of robotic surgery in the United States is in the field of non-oncology general surgery. Uh, and I, I, I do believe that uh, as the number of procedures grows, as it has every year, that there will be maybe more than one version of the robotic platform. So Besides that single port platform I mentioned, we're really doing all these surgeries through one version of a robot. And I think there will likely it'll be more um, area of the body, region specific types of robots, really fine tuned for certain types of surgeries or areas of the body for surgery. And I'm going to guess that because of the length of time you've been doing this and the fact that the James is such a large cancer hospital and sees so many patients from 
Ohio and beyond, you probably performed as many uh, cancer oncology um, robotic surgeries as anyone. Oh, I know there's uh, folks that have performed more, but yeah, I've, I've uh, over the last 15 years performed uh, a lot, probably over a couple thousand, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. It was great to talk to you again. You too. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.